Welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. From our Providence, Rhode Island studios, I sit down with Providence City Council candidate, Justice Gaines. Justice Gaines is an organizer, activist, artist, and Brown University graduate, currently in a Democratic primary contest for the Ward 1 seat on the Providence City Council. Our conversation touched on many of the crucial issues impacting Providence communities right now, as well as Ms. Gaines' vision for Providence's future and how she believes she could work towards that vision as a member of the Providence City Council. Hey, don't forget, wherever you stream content, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Alexa, TuneIn, you may subscribe to the Bartholomew Town Podcast, and we'd certainly appreciate it. You may also follow me on Twitter, at Bill Bartholomew. All right, let's get right to it. Providence City Council candidate, Justice Gaines. What inspired you to run for city council? I'm sure there's a a zillion things on that list, but based on the work you're doing now, how much of that work are you trying to take to the council? Yeah, well, that's that work is the reason I'm running for city council in a lot of ways. I uh, I was, have been an organizer for the last few years and basically been working in the community to try to make sure that our city government is going to be working for the people and trying to make sure the policies that exist within our city are going to be in our state are going to be working to make sure people have the right to a livelihood that they can be safe that they have health care and that they you know can exist as their whole selves um, and so with city council the decision to run was about seeing how many of our city councilors become barriers to change not because necessarily the change is really all that hard right a lot of people say change takes time I think change takes time because people are resistant to it I think it's because people aren't willing to actually make those bold choices that move us forward um, and so for me it was about how can we bring this process of organizing how can we bring the people how can we have more public engagement and be part of mobilizing that engagement and bring that into city council so that we can make changes so that we can solve a lot of the issues that are facing our communities and that are really really been detrimental to our city and have been growing for the last decade. Um, And particularly uh, my city councilor has been in office for 12 years and I feel like you know, if after 12 years, we are still seeing, and a lot of the city councilors have been in office for two, three, four plus terms, right? How can we Except that the changes have not happened and that our city is still sort of failing in many ways, whether that's with housing or education, if folks are supposedly um, in line with with our values. And I believe we can't just have values. We have to have action. Before we get into some of the specific issues facing the city right now, can you give the listeners just kind of the the quick summary of your story? You know, did you grow up in Rhode Island? No. So I actually grew up in New Jersey. I grew up in a suburb that was racially economically diverse Somerset or in Franklin for those who know it. Um, and um, I came to Providence through Brown University. And so I was at Brown from 2012 to 2016. I was studying sociology. And while I was there was when I started doing a lot more activism and organizing, particularly around uh, sexual assault policies. Um, I was pretty involved with that. Um, racial justice and then trans inclusion and then also looking at some workers rights issues there as well Um, and then I sort of transitioned out of Brown uh, when I started working in the community over the summer. I had interned with Rhode Island Coalition for the Homeless, um, worked a bit with a Direct Action for Rights and Equality and PRISM and some other groups. And for me, seeing how sort of the university was affecting 
residents outside of the university and how the and how Brown in particular was affecting Providence outside of Brown uh, was really hard to see and enlightening and really changed my perspective of what it meant to be in Providence. Um, and so once I left uh, Brown, I was I started with Rhode Island Jobs with Justice and I was there up until this past May. And then uh, also was working with uh, Direct Action for Rights and Equality, um, Feng Collective, uh, Now Prism and a few other groups around um, as well as last year. Uh, facilitating a racial justice coalition with uh, multiple groups in the state. And so for me, it's been about sort of making sure I can be as helpful and use the skills that I have to ensure that the folks who live here, that Providence residents, that people who are born here and raised here have the ability to stay here if they when they want to and have the ability to thrive in the city. Yeah, you mentioned something that's been um, totally obvious to me as well that living out here in, on Elmwood Avenue in Elmwood, whether it's Broad Street or down on the water, um, as, you know, I take, we have one vehicle or whatever, I take my wife to RISD or Brown where she's studying right now as well, and I'll drop her off, and driving back through the neighborhood, as I most often will do, I'll take all the side streets just to f- be as, you know, experienced neighborhood as much as I can. Um, this city is so divided, and it's centered around the fact that the institutions and the financial epicenter of Providence is just in a ge- geographical sense separated from the bulk of the city's residents. So you mentioned something that really strikes me every day on just an obvious level, and I'm so surprised that this isn't like front and center in every single issue that's brought before the council. To me, it seems like this is this is the big problem we have here. Yeah. Um, we're one of, if not the most segregated city in new England, which is wild. Cause we're also very tiny. We're not big city, right? Providence isn't huge. And so the idea that you can drive even 10 minutes and see two completely different cities is wild. And so I live in ward one, I live on the East side. And, um, for me, in this process of going door to door and talking with people, what I've noticed is there are a lot of folks in my community, in my neighborhoods, who do want to address the problem, right? They do want to, they don't want to see the segregation happening. But they don't necessarily know what the process is to change that either. And I don't think we've seen the leadership that wants to actively change it, right? And I think what happens, especially in in a city like Providence, where now we're trying to do a lot of development, now we're trying to grow, we want to build up the city's national, sort of national prestige, right? And what that does is that makes folks fall back into this traditional thinking of how do we bring investment and how do we make Providence pretty? How do we make people outside of Providence like Providence? But it doesn't really do anything to actually invest in the people who are here and fix the situation, right? Um, When you bring a lot of... investment in, which is something that does need to happen. But when you only focus on bringing investment in, you don't actually like recognize how that affects the fact that people are leaving and being pushed out. Right. And so for me, I think we need to reorient our priorities. And I think city council, um, at the, like, at the city level, we need to be focusing on what does it mean to invest in our people, to invest in our residents first, and make sure that they can stay in their homes, right? Make sure that they're not being priced out and pushed out. Make sure that they so we have education systems and workforce training opportunities that help our youth and help um, all of our communities sort of get into uh, positions where they can sustain themselves, right? How do we make sure we have access to health care and we have roads by the hospital that aren't broken, right? Like that's, that's something that's, that's simple, but 
you know, we always have these issues of, of people worried about the money, but not actually realizing where the money is going. And like, we're willing to like, let folks come in and give them breaks to invest in the city, but we're not willing to invest in our own people. Um, and I think that's something that really needs to change. And I think we need to have a city council that's going to be listening to what to listening to the people working with uh, communities and really building solutions from the ground up. Um, 20th century thinking is no longer working. We know that that's not how our economy works. We know that's not how a 21st century economy works. And I think it's about time we actually start figuring out what our new economy has to look like. And of course, Providence right now facing a, a, a pension yeah, potentially disaster. Um, certainly, major situation. Um, I've had some people who've sat in this chair, analysts who have stated out loud they think the city is going to be going bankrupt sometime within maybe even a year. So, how do you approach that situation? Um, of course, that's in many ways completely unrelated to the everyday citizen of Providence. You know, it's not their per- their mismanagement, so it affects the average citizen even more. But how do you address these? exterior problems while at the same time trying to invest in in communities in the city yeah so i think um with the pension there was a renegotiation with our uh last mayor about that and sort of um some of the different constituencies came together to talk about what the new sort of process and funding mechanism will look like and i do think it did offset some of the crisis that we have and i don't think we fully analyze what that looks like right um and I, uh, Chief Paul Doherty of the um, Firefighters Union had talked about that and released a statement. Like, a lot of this has been sort of politicized in a way that doesn't necessarily benefit the conversation, right? So I would first want to look at that. But also, I do think we have to look at how to increase our revenue um, in terms of what does it mean to make sure we're, we're not just using, like, parking meters to try to get penny pinching revenue and actually talk about what does it mean to give um a fane tower a like tax stabilization agreement what is the what does that look like and how does that actually affect and help our pensions because frankly i don't believe it does right what does it mean when um uh we're trying to give a 160 or 100 thousand dollar uh another tax stabilization agreement to uh, damn, I can't even remember what their name is. Um, on South Street Landing, right? Oh, For yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Um, National Grid. National Grid, right? Um, what does it mean if we're, like, letting National Grid build a liquefaction facility that's actually going to increase our health care costs because it's going to, like, affect our residents in that neighborhood, right? Yeah, the asthma rate there is out of control. I mean, exactly. it's right, the data's right there to observe. I mean, it's shocking that they can get away with it. Exactly. You know? And we already have, you know, the study just came out about how our water is has lead, right? How lead has not, lead has continued to be a huge health problem within our city, and we actually haven't done anything to deal with that. And so for me, when you're thinking about sort of oh, we have this pension crisis and we have a funding crisis and we have a financial crisis, but you're not actually trying to solve some of the issues that are costing us money, then you're not actually trying to solve our, our, our financial crisis, right? So for me, it's if we're not looking at, if our schools are falling apart, right? And that means that our youth are now not going into the workforce. They're not going into higher education. They're not try- They're not able to sustain themselves or they have to drop out of school to support their families. Then one, we're wasting money on education. 
because it's not working, but also that means we're losing money because they're no longer becoming part of, of our society. They're no longer able to join the economy the way they would like to and the way that we would like them to, right? If you're looking at housing issues and we're looking at homelessness, homelessness costs more to our state than housing our homeless people, right? So if we aren't focused on how to give people homes with social service, with wraparound social services, then we're costing ourselves money. We're wasting money, right? If we're like looking at... Um, national grid and trying to see if they can build a facility, but we're not actually investing in making renewable uh, resources, uh, renewable facilities, making those jobs, and also um, developing green infrastructure that saves us from damage when we do have these huge storms, then we're actually wasting money, right? And so for me, again, I think we need a complete re-understanding of what it means to invest in the city. What are going to be the long-term investments that save us money and allow us to focus more on having, like, not going into a financial crisis or not having a pension fund that's insolvent? And I think what I don't see from a lot of city councilors is the willingness to change our thinking on what an economy has to look like. And I've seen it in other cities. We've seen it in... um Jackson, Mississippi. We've seen it in Seattle. We've seen it in Portland. We've seen it in other places that are now finally realizing what it means to have an economy that supports people, that supports uh, workers, and that, you know, that invest in community that's not necessarily focused on just, oh, what should a city look like, right? Because I believe a city should be supporting the people who live here and the people who work here and the people who put more back into the city. Um, and I don't see that happening with our city council. And I, I think, I don't think I trust our city council currently to know how to do that work because I don't see them on the ground trying to build those conversations and build those solutions with the community. Let's talk about the Community Safety Act and yes. the incident that occurred two days ago, uh, fairly close to where we are right yeah. now. Um, that's one of many that aren't. Uh, as well publicized that happen on a daily basis, maybe not to that extent, of course, but um, there's a uh, a lot of politicization, politicization, politicization of uh, of the CSA now, and I've heard everyone from Joe Trillo to you know whoever try to throw out the idea that that is contributing to violence or somehow creating. Um, a negative version of Providence. Um, yeah. What's your response to that? I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think if you believe that holding police accountable is contributing to violence, then you have absolutely no understanding of the situation between police and the community in Providence. That's how I feel. Um, the Community Safety Act came out because folks, advocates, community organizers and organizations had been talking with folks on the ground, have been meeting at people's houses, had been uh, having conversations with youth in the city, had been having conversations with older folks in the city, and have been building each step of that ordinance based off of real life experiences people have had with the police. Now, my thing is, police officers are public servants. They serve the public. And if we don't have the ability to trust in police officers and we don't have mechanisms to hold them accountable, then the city is not doing its job, right? And so for me, the idea that having that ordinance somehow led to uh, violence or led to this shooting, which you saw um, even earlier this year 
in January when there was a series of shootings, the um, Fraternal Order of Police, the police union, also released a statement trying to say the same thing, um, which at the t- again was ridiculous and uh the city council president also said it was ridiculous. The police commissioner also said it was ridiculous, right? Because it's really trying to take a tragedy and turn it into this advocacy for um, unjust security, for for unjust policing, for policing that terrorizes people and doesn't actually, and only keeps certain people safe, right? And through this campaign, um, as I've been canvassing, right, I live on the east side. I live in Ward 1. I live in Fox Point. Um, and, you know, in that area, we don't have as many problems with police. And people have said that. People have told me at the doors, oh, you know, it seems like, you know, Providence is pretty good. Like, we don't, you know, we don't have some of the issues of other cities. And I was like, that's what we can say because we live on this side of town. Because Brown University Police manages most of, of where we're at right now, right? Um, we can say that. People in Olneyville, people in the West End, people in the South Side can't say that. Um, that's not their experience, right? That's not the same relationships they're having. And for me, the idea that you can think this shooting is related to that ordinance means you don't understand where violence actually comes from. And so, right, we can talk about even gun violence but if you're not trying to address poverty then i don't want to hear what you're saying about gun violence right if you're not trying to address the way our economy preys on certain people the way it preys particularly on women of color in our community and poor like poor folks in our community then you can't talk to me about what you think the problem with violence is right because again we're not investing in our community to be able to get we're not investing in our city to be able to get our residents out of those situations of violence and i've talked with so many youth this summer through various means as part of the campaign and just through my general work because i work with youth organizations right and they don't want their communities to look the way they do but they want their communities to feel like community. They want their neighborhoods to still have their culture, have their people, right? They still want to be able to live and exist. But that doesn't mean that we can't be more, we can't be better as a city in what it means to literally clean the streets. I don't mean clean up the streets of violence. I mean, literally make sure that our streets are cleaner and have a public works department that is funded and invested in so that those workers can do the job that they need to do and have the resources they need. Right. Um, and right now they don't, uh, what does it mean to make sure that our curriculum actually engages our students? Um, I had a student say to me, you know, all we learn is white history and that's boring. We've been learning that since like the second grade or whatever, right? Like they don't feel there's no reason for them to engage in that, right? If it's in, in, well, I'll, that's a separate issue, but um, I was about to go on a rant. Yeah, we'll come back on, yeah. we'll, we'll do this <laughs> yeah. another podcast before Columbus Day. We'll yeah, get into exactly, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so for me, it's like you into to utilize that sort of thinking or that framework around what happened um, and the, the the student who passed is it's disgusting and it's it's a framework that is not based in reality but is definitely based in a history of oppression and a history of sort of diminishing the needs of people of color and of poor folks in our communities yeah i couldn't agree more specifically being out here uh living in elmwood 
and I say out here because I do feel that disconnect. Uh, mm-hmm. Even when there's snowstorms or these types of scenarios, um, I've actually never lived somewhere that has just been as ignored as this area. You know, literally not plowed for sometimes a day or so. Yeah. Um, roads impassable, um, and it's just it's utterly shocking to me. And that's why it, it, this all kind of comes back to the very first thing that we were discussing, which is the division in the city based upon wealth, means, and access to really the 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 levers of power, you know? Yeah. And, and so you're, you're basically, you as a candidate are trying to, rather than be a barrier to cor- that correction, you're going to be an advocate for it. That can sort of sum up what you're after here. Yeah, and I think it's really important that I am running in Ward 1, which is downtown Fox Point in Wayland Square, right? I think it's really important to recognize that our communities do... Like, our city's not going to work unless we are talking across sort of that barrier and talking across what it means to be on the east side versus what it means to be in other parts of Providence, right? And I think, um, for me, having gone canvassing, having gone door-to-door, um, talking to people over the phone, right, I have noticed that we, like, our community, my ward wants to be part of the solution we do also have problems there's some issues that i'm dealing with right now in certain homes and some of the affordable housing and right those are also issues we need to take care of and make sure that people in uh those places who do live in downtown or do live in in the parts of fox point that you know are historically black like still feel supported um and so i also think we need to make I need to be able to work with other people across the city. And I think whoever is in that office needs to be able to work with people across the city. So we're not sort of doing these shutter, shutter eyed understandings of what it means to represent Providence and what it means to represent a ward. Right. I don't think ward one does better because ward 13 does worse. I don't think ward one does better because ward 11 has sacrificed something. Right. I don't think that has to be the case. I would rather see how can we invest and build the city together, especially because in the next four years, in the next decade, we're going to have tons of development coming in. We want to develop downtown, right? We want it to be a center. We want it to be an economic center and, and, and make sure our city's economy is, is working and, and building and growing. But that also means we have to make sure we're, how we're affecting our residents and all parts of the city is really important. And I think even on work in even even in Ward 1, right, we also still have an affordable housing crisis. Over, like, around, I think it averaged out to 55% of Ward 1 residents. So that's downtown in Fox Point and Wayland Square, right? are cost burdened by their rents. So it's not even like these issues don't affect people in all parts of the city. It's just some people are more easily able to not necessarily feel the direct effects. Right. But I think that means we do have to, if that's the case, right, if even my side of town is being cost burdened by rent, then what does that mean for the rest of the city, right? What does that mean for how we're neglecting our residents, right? If we can't even, if even our good side of town, right, is still facing some of these huge systematic issues that we haven't worked hard enough to solve. Yeah, it, I, it's very interesting. Connecting communities is something that even with PVD Fest or any number of events that have happened in the city, I've personally just felt a significant disconnect and a, and a hyper focus on certain wards or neighborhoods of the city. And yeah. it's that broader sort of thinking that we've heard from Aaron Janig on this program as well. That and, and I think there are other 
you know, uh, Kat Kerwin. You know, yeah. we, for, there are plenty of, of, of people who have this I, these ideals, but as far as who can actually win, you're in a position now where I, I believe you're going to win on Wednesday. Do you feel, do you have that kind of confidence going in right now? I hope so. Honestly, we've been doing the best we can. It was a new campaign, and so... I do believe the message we've got out, people have connected to. And I think people have responded really well. I've gotten a lot of calls that have just been like, yeah, no, I appreciate the, like, I appreciate you saying this. I appreciate what you're doing. Um, I appreciate you running, right? I think people are ready for new energy. I think people are ready for new ideas. I think people are ready for sort of a more connected and accessible government. And I think that idea of being proactive and engaging the community and it not just being political is really, really important. Um, and I'm hopeful on Wednesday. I think it'll be interesting. You know, I am running against a long-term incumbent and I think there's always challenges with that, especially it being my first political race. But I'm also excited to, regardless of what happens, bring the experience I've had and a lot of the skills I've learned from sort of this political campaigning back into a lot of the work um, that I will continue to do with organizations, but that those organizations can do themselves. And so I think regardless of the results, I think it'll be beneficial to make sure that we can open up this process for the public, for residents of Providence, and really get the community um, to have a bigger say in what happens in our city. Last question. What's your take on how we could, as a state, as a, as a people here, better connect our private institutions, whether it be Brown University, Rhode Island School of Design, New England Tech, um, the public transportation, mm-hmm. public and in, in other public institutions, obviously things in, in medicine, private and public, um, and build a more connected and more shared dynamic in, within the city? Because there are so many strong institutions here um, yeah. that could inform each other and essentially build the infrastructure that we need. Do you, how, What's that look like? Do you think that's possible or the ego's too big right now? Yeah, I mean, I hope that's possible, right? That's a dream. Um, for me, right, it, you're right. There's a lot of ego in it. And I also think it, it matters in how we, we frame and change the conversation. I think um, some of the universities have these programs where they want to be a part of the community more, but they're still in this sort of extractive way. It's like, how's it going to be beneficial to our students, right? And I think ultimately, when we need a stronger sort of uh, voice and in, in in advocacy on every level of accountability. I think like holding our city council and our, our government accountable, but also holding our private institutions accountable, um, especially our universities to how they affect the city is going to be really important. I think really paying attention, really prioritizing residents and prioritizing workers and having all of our work be done in that framework is going to help us understand how to better combine and, and, and like join forces and work collaboratively together to make a stronger city. Um, I do believe that we could have a city that, you know, our private institutions and our, our public community is working well. And I think you kind of see that, right. Even with our, like our local business owners and our smaller business owners do that in, in a regular, on a regular basis, right. They're the folks who are on Wicked and street are, are, um, on Westminster and, and, uh, really trying to make sure that they connect with the people who, who, who frequent their shops every day and that they're hiring like local folks and that they're 
creating these institutions in the community, right? And so I think when I'm thinking of the bigger institutions, whether that's Brown, RISD, JWU, or whether that's some of these bigger companies that are that are have come in or are coming in, it's like, what does that look like for us to both hold them accountable and also really uh, see who, what they're providing and who they're providing it to, right? So, right, how do we make sure that they also understand their role in making sure our city uh, does well and making sure that our residents succeed? And how can we make, sh- how can we, uh, you know, articulate that and find a way to find the balances in, in our goals and our you know our common goals and i think right especially with the universities i'd hope we have common goals of you know education and 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 um and i do think community is a goal of education i would hope um but making sure we're we're having those dialogues and and recognizing okay y'all have this huge program what does it mean to have that program come into our city or come into our neighborhoods right what does it mean for you to send students into uh the south side and are they there just to learn for themselves or are they there to help like us clean up the streets right or are they there to help us you know maybe uh help some folks get food that week right what does it mean to think not just oh well they need to learn and this is for their class and credit and for them to actually like be just genuinely helping like how do we teach compassion right Right. and i think that's the big thing is like teaching compassion across the city with our private institutions is going to be really important for building a city that's not looking not everyone looking for how can i get ahead but more how can we as a city grow together and build together and be successful and have a providence that really is working for all people. Absolutely. Yeah, it reminds me of like in 10th grade when people start applying for scholarships or college, all of a sudden, you know, you hear that someone's volunteering like three hours a week at, at a soup kitchen or whatever. And they're, you know, they're they just try to race in and out of it so they can pop it on their resume. Exactly. It's like, how do you actually educate people that if you have an, an, an authentic exchange of ideas that you're going to strengthen the city, you're going to strengthen the economy, you're going to rid the place of blight, yeah. you're going to make this a beautiful um, place for people to want to move to yeah. and not move away from. And it's, and it's like that too. It's like we like thinking about, right, a lot of times we get stuck in this conversation of like conservative and liberal or like, oh, well, like these are the right economic ideas and these are not. And really, I'd like us to just start thinking about how we can help people, right? Like, how can we benefit people? How can we be compassionate? How can we see people as human and try to support them in that endeavor, right? Like, for me, that's really where it comes back to. We can disagree on ideas, but ultimately, right, these policies are affecting people. These policies are not just theological they're not just you know they're not abstract and i think we need to bring back the human aspect of all the decisions we're making so that we're not just thinking of these abstract concepts of or these abstract ideals of what providence should be right because we can we can bring in tourism tenfold to providence and if that means that all of the folks who've been here for 50 years are now living somewhere else we've failed as a city Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with that. So any final thoughts? Um, I'm just excited for Wednesday. I do believe, you know, I do believe this election has been a change in a lot of ways in the political discourse. And I think it has, you know, 
across the country, but specifically in Rhode Island and in Providence, we've seen a shift um, that I do hope will prioritize people, prioritize, you know, our workers and and fight for the people who live here first. And um, I'm just excited to see what happens in the next four years and what we can do and the changes we can make to really try to benefit everyone who lives here. Um, So, yeah, that's really all I have. Do you think some (laughs) of the people are going to turn up for... Um, Representative Aaron Regenberg for Matt Brown for maybe even Patricia Fonts at the polls who are living in Ward 1 are going to pull the lever for you as well? Do you feel that? Um, I hope so. I think think people are energized and I especially with this election primaries are always a little bit harder than generals but I feel people energized and I do think we got a good we'll have a good turnout um, on Wednesday, September 12th Um, and I'm excited to see what happens um frankly i i am just in like such a whirlwind of of this experience and really thinking and reflecting at this point of what this experience meant for me what this experience means for the communities i've been in and what this campaign has been in terms of uh pushing the issues and getting our message out and so uh i'm i never like to guarantee anything because you know i'm not of a fortune teller but i do believe that on wednesday we'll see a really incredible uh showing of folks in our city at the polls and i'm really excited for that thanks for listening to the bartholomew town podcast catch up on each episode of season one wherever you stream content until next time we'll talk soon